0: All right, this morning, if you'd open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. We'll be reading there in a moment. Uh, From Walter Isaacson's biography on Steve Jobs, he mentions, uh, quote, a third uh, partner that backed out on a tenth share of the company, which is Apple, taking back his $2,300. Had he held on to his 10% of the company by the end of 2010, it would have been worth $2.6 billion. Instead, he was then living alone in a small home in Nevada where he played the penny slot machines and lived off his social security check. However, he later claimed that he had no regrets. I made the best decision for me at that time. Both of them were real whirlwinds, and I knew my stomach, and I wasn't in for such a ride. Now, many people may hear a statement like this and think he's, he's just lying to himself to make, him feel be- make himself feel better, or perhaps, maybe, he has processed his regret in a healthy way. You could argue that he realized that if he had been present, he says these two men were whirlwinds, he was not. Perhaps he may have held back the development of the company. He could speculate all he wants, but what he finds himself at today is a place where he does not hold himself in a place of depression or a place of deep sorrow for his regret of backing out. He's found himself in a place where despite his past choices, he's pressing forward in a positive way. So let's look at our text, Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32. Uh, Jesus tells a parable, uh, and he says, "'What do you think? A man had two sons, "'and he came to the first and said, "'Son, go uh, work today in my vineyard.' "'And he answered, I will not. "'But afterward he regretted it, and he went. "'Then he came to the second, and likewise he answered and said, 'I, "'I will go, sir.' But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. And Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and heartlets will enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and heartlets believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. So this morning, I want to preach a sermon entitled, Good Regret. Let's pray. Father God, help us this morning, God, by the power of your Spirit. Lord, that you administer to the hearts and minds of the people here, God, not by uh, my words, God, by my intellect, God, but I hide humbly behind your cross. Lord, move in the way you desire this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So first I want to deal with the issue of bad regret. And we see in this story, there's two sons in the story and they're contrasting to one another. One of them says, no father, I will not go, and then changes his mind and does go. And the other one says, I will do it, but as the text says, he does not ultimately go and do his father's will. And then Jesus asks a very simple question. Even children could answer this one correctly. Which one did the will of the Father? And when telling this story, he speaks of the first son, and he says, I will not go. And our text says that he regretted it and decided to go anyway. This word regret in various different translations looks different. In fact, in the King James Version, it says, repent, He repented. Most translations say a change of heart or a mind, but the meaning and the definition is similar in itself. But the word regret for us sparks much more emotions than many other words. A change of heart. This means to change one's judgment on past points of conduct, conduct, to change one's mind and purpose going forward to change one's mind about something with the probable implication of regret. So verse 29, the son replies, I would rather not, but afterward he deeply regretted it. What he said to his father changed his mind and decided to go to the vineyard. How many of you had your kids say, I'd rather not, when you ask them to do something? Now this son, he tells his father, "I'd rather not, but some, for some reason, he changes his mind. Regret on its own is not it, it, I'm sorry, is often damaging. when all you feel is regret for the decisions that you've made, actions that you've taken. And on one hand, regret alone produces nothing, a feeling that condemns you, but it does not mean any change in life. Which, on the other hand, leads to producing death. You think about Judas. He regretted what he did. Matthew 27.3 says, Now when Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, saw that he had been condemned, he regretted what he had done, brought 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders, and then says, And he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed. And he went and hanged himself. You see, regret can lead us to a place of running from God. It can lead us to a place of depression. It can lead us to a wrong response. You think about uh, uh, Judas. He, He throws his money in the temple and ultimately commits suicide. I've said it before, and I truly believe that Judas, just like the rest of us, if he had repented of what he had done, could have also found salvation. And we see this idea as echoed in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Paul writes, he says, For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So in other words, godly grief. So in other words, I regret what I've done, but I know what the Bible says. I know what Jesus thinks of me, so I will repent and change my ways. But worldly grief... We've all been there. Worldly grief says you've done messed up. You have no hope. You have no future. There is nothing you can do. And Paul says that this worldly grief produces death. This can be damaging to areas of our life. There are people who give up on life, who give up on God because they are plagued by their own regret. They determine for themselves it's too late that they're too bad, that it would be too hard to recover. All the time when you speak to people, they say, Oh, I'm too messed up for God. I've done too much. He can't save me. They have so much regret about what they've done, the choices they've made, that somewhere along the lines, they chose to believe the lie from hell that they cannot be redeemed. They experience the death within their lives of their own salvation, of maybe ministries of destiny, of future and hope, whatever it may be, because of this regret. Some time ago, the Dutch Defense Safety Inspection Agency, it's a mouthful, invest, uh, uh, launched an investigation about an F 16 fighter jet that suffered damage from a 20 millimeter cannon fire during a routine training exercise. How many know you're not supposed to take fire during a training exercise? The problem, as they determined, was the damage came from its own cannons. How can a ship shoot itself? You see, this happened because the aircraft is equipped with Vulcan Gatling guns, which can fire over 6,000 rounds per minute. Those rounds travel at a muzzle velocity of 3,450 feet per second. However, the aircraft is capable of flying much faster than that. So what appears to have happened is that after a burst of rounds were fired from the aircraft, the pilot accelerated his aircraft and collided with his own bullets while still in midair. And at least one of them struck the side of the F-16's Uh, fuselage, I don't know if I said that right, fuselage, thank you, and parts of the rounds were ingested into the aircraft's engine. The F-16 pilot managed to land the aircraft safely at Lewwarden Air Base. You see, this is a crazy story. You think about this magnificent power and speed that goes into this machine, but oftentimes, this is what regret looks like for us. It's something we did in the past, and as we try to press forward, we keep running into it. We keep letting it affect us. We keep letting it ground us, if you will. This pilot had to land his airplane before it took his life. And bad regret will do that. It will be constantly us placing our problems before us as a stumbling block. But there's one thing that might be worse than bad regret, and that is no regret, you all know the meme. No, no regrets. You see, there is great spiritual danger for all of us if we ever if we never sense regret for anything. There are people who they say it all the time, no regrets i it, I am who I am because of what you know this, that, or whatever. There's no remorse, that's what they're saying. And we're seeing in our text, Jesus is dealing with religious leaders who had no regrets. They presented themselves uh, with lives that were above everyone else to the point that they refused to face the issues of their own life. Verse 32 from our text, from another translation, says, "...for John came to you in a way of righteousness, and you did not believe him." But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even regret afterwards so as to believe him. He's telling them, John came to you. He preached about, what did he preach about? Repentance. How I many? no, there's not, not, not much repentance to do if you don't think you ever did anything wrong. And this same act will also result in death. Verse 31 from our text, Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, tax collectors and heartlets enter the kingdom of God before you. Not just before you, but instead of you. You think about this, and these are the men who are at the height of religion, if you will. And Jesus is telling them, because you experience no regret, and you have no response to that regret, these people who are considered the scum of society responded to the call of repentance and they will enter into the kingdom of heaven. You see, a lack of regret is deception. Verse 30 says, And he came to the second, and he said like, he said, likewise, and he said, I will go, sir, and he went not. This is interesting. He tells his dad, "Listen, Dad. Yeah, go. You asked me to go out in the field. I'll go out in the field. Sure, sure thing. You got it, boss." But he didn't. That's what the text tells us, and it's interesting to consider why. Maybe he was lying from the get-go. He had no intentions. He knew that if he tells Dad, uh, "No," that his face turns red. Bad things happen, and and you know how many how many you know when your kids tell you "No," they're going to hear about it, right? And so maybe he just lied to him. He said, listen, yeah, dad, I'll go do that. And then he thought he could go hide in the corner for the rest of the day and get away with it. Or maybe he was like, yeah, dad, you know what? I, I will do that for you. And he intended to do it, but he really didn't have any real conviction to obey his father. He had no desire to do what his father said. Or maybe he deceived himself that he's okay. He has no reason to do it. He might think to himself, Well, you know what? I have worked out in the field before. I've paid my dues. I've done my part. I can take today off. Somewhere, for some reason, this brother decided that he did not have to go. He did not need to go. And if you read the Gospels, you'll see that Uh, Mark, Luke, and John regularly say the kingdom of God when talking about the kingdom of God. However, throughout Matthew, Matthew generally in the same places will say kingdom of heaven instead. However, in this text, he says kingdom of God. I don't know about you guys. When I see stuff like that, it kind of sparks my interest. A little bit of an anomaly in his writing. And I believe he uses the kingdom of God because it's an emphasis on a relationship aspect with God himself. Not just his kingdom, but with the ruler of the kingdom. Not just that when I don't repent, when I don't uh, respond correctly to regret that I have done wrong, but that I have done someone wrong, and that is God. Refusing the Father's will. A more focused on appearing right, saying the right thing. How many know we can't just give God lip service and it's going to work? We can't, with our mouths, say that we're faithful to God, but with our actions, not show it. And again, Jesus, he's dealing with these Pharisees and he speaks about the heartlets and the tax collectors who've repented of their sins, who've who've changed their ways. And he's basically trying to get them to realize the reality of these lives being changed by the message of the gospel should have moved them to be inspired, should have moved them to a legitimate regret. Oftentimes, uh, somebody who we think is worse than us, getting saved, can make us examine our own salvation a little bit, or lack thereof. But 30, verse 32 from our text, Jesus tells them, when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and, re- and believe him. When you saw it, you had no spiritual response. This is an indictment upon them that Jesus is saying you heard John with your ears. You saw lives changed with your eyes, but yet nothing about you changed. There was a refusal to rejoice in redemption and embrace the work God was doing in their lives. We see this oftentimes in the religious church world today. When when somebody who the world views as a terrible sinner gets saved, they go, no, it can't be real. Just happened recently with, uh, uh, what's her name, Kat, Kat, Von Kat Von D, apparently a very famous tattoo artist, got saved and baptized. And unfortunately, you see an outpouring of Christians who say, nah, she, she was too this, too much that, whatever this. And listen, Jesus says you'll know them if they obey my commandments. Her salvation, that's between uh, her and God. But for now, I'm going to rejoice at the salvation. But they, in their eyes, believed that they had no issues, that they had no, nothing to repent of, that they had nothing to regret. Jonathan Edwards self says that self righteousness is one of the greatest banes of the souls of men. So, in other words, it's one of the greatest downfalls, one of the greatest causes of death, if you will, a poison. And lastly, I want to speak of good regret. There's a bad regret, no regret, and good regret. You see, this is contrary to our thinking, but it's actually wrong to think that all regret is automatically wrong or bad. There is such thing about good regret, and what makes it good or bad is how we process it. Do we see the dangers of how we're processing our regret? But do we also see the great benefit of how we can be processing our regret? You see, this was a stumbling block for the religious people that Jesus was dealing with, that they were in the presence of sinners. They, they, they had an issue that Jesus would talk to these people, the prostitutes and the tax collectors. They didn't like that he would speak to them and it caused a stumbling block before themselves because they believed that they weren't good enough for redemption. But yet it was these very same people that Jesus used to build his church. These people, these sinners, these that experienced good regret, changed their life, but they started off wrong. Like all of us. Think about this, 28 and 29 from our text. But what do you think? A man and his two sons, and he came to the first and said, "Son, go work in my vineyard." And he said, "I will not." I will not. The Bible says no one is not no one is righteous, no not one. All have said, all of us have said, I will not to God. All of us have said, I will not, but then they did go. We we make mistakes. We choose our paths. We sin and we mess up. That is us saying to God, I will not do your will. But then, what does our text say? He regretted it. As the King James says, he repented of it. And he went into his vineyard to work. This is why Jesus came. Would he say not to call the righteous, but sinners to repent? This seems like a contradiction because the Bible says no one is righteous. No, not one. And the reality is that when Jesus says, I came to call the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners to repent, he's talking about how people see themselves, not about how they actually are. And this is how regret is turned into restoration. is when we see our sins, when we see our mistakes, when we see ourselves for what we are. And we experience regret, but we use that regret as motivation to change our path, to turn and do the right things. Think about this. He says tax collectors and heartlets saw what they had become, the lives that they had led. And because of their regret, they repented, they changed their life, they began to follow the teachings of John, and then thereafter, Jesus himself. And in the kingdom of God, their hearts are right with their father. You see, repentance, which leads to entering into the vineyard to serve their father, to labor for the father. You see, it'd be one thing if that kid just said, I'm not going to do it, Dad, and then he felt bad later at the end of the day conveniently, and he says, hey, Dad, I'm sorry I didn't go out in the field today. I regret that. No, his regret led to a change of actions. He said, I will not, but afterwards he regretted it and he went. This is an illustration of genuine repentance, of a good response to regret, that we've told God with our actions, we've told God with our mouth, we've told God with our entire lives, I will not serve you, and then we hear the gospel, we regret our choices, and we go. And we serve God with our lives. What he doesn't do is he doesn't hang back and indulge in further regret. Sometimes regret can be the most crippling thing for people because they spend so much time thinking about how they wish they had done it, how they wish they had acted, what they wish they had said, whatever it may be, instead of saying, going forward, I'm not going to let that happen in my life again. 2 Corinthians 7, 10-11, Paul writes, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, good regret, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, What indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication? In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Paul is telling them, listen, you experienced a godly sorrow, a good regret. And because of that, it produced diligence. It produced a, fe- a healthy fear of god a vehement desire to do his we- to do his will it made you look to christ and his salvation but jesus is telling these pharisees he's trying to get them to realize there's still hope for you as well once you can realize you're actually the first son because you're saying no to God with your life. Jesus isn't wasting words here. He's, he's talking to the Pharisees. How many times do we see Jesus talk to the Pharisees and they go, and they leave? If anything, it makes them even more mad. But Jesus isn't just, isn't just signing up for debate team to argue just for fun. He's genuinely concerned for these men, hoping that they will see the errors of their ways. And we see throughout the Gospels that some of them did turn from their ways. You think about Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee who came to faith. And the Bible doesn't tell us, but you wonder how many of the Pharisees in these confrontations were actually swayed by Jesus. These are the chief priests, the elders, the Pharisees, the the rulers of the Jewish religion. In Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples' multitude grew multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. The religious had a chance. And perhaps the most effective worker ever for the kingdom of God was originally a Pharisee. You think about Paul. At some point, he came to this realization, man, I'm not, I'm not so hot like I think I am. And in fact, in his own writer, in his own writings, he calls himself "the chiefest of all sinners." He says, "I'm the worst of the worst." But this is grace that is extended to sinners. that's extended to the religious who think they're not sinners. And otherwise, to all of us, should we finally see the regret in our lives and respond practically? So what does a practical response to regret look like? First, identify your regrets and their impact on your life. Is your regret impacting you negatively? Is it holding you back? Is it making you cause, make worse choices that will cause more regret down the road? Then you must make a decision to refuse to live bound by them. So often we say, oh God, take this from me, take this from me. But yet God says, okay, get up and let's walk and I will take it from you. And we just want to sit there and say, God, take this from me. I won't get up from my couch watching Netflix until you take this from me. We also must recognize that we may be using them as an excuse. That the decisions I've made, the choices that I've made, the things I've done, it exempts me from doing God's will because I cannot do it. I've done this. I'm too messed up. I've got too much of a past. I've got too much of a this. I'm whatever. We must recognize that we might be using our regret as an excuse. I say all the time, if you're looking for an excuse, the devil will be glad to give you one. The devil is the king of excuses. He'll hand him out left and right for free. And then you must believe that God has a future and will use your life despite your past. And what you will find going forward is that God will actually use your past as a testimony to encourage other people. And then you must ask and trust that the holy spirit will meet you at the point of your regret and help carry you to the future that you can have endurance to press forward listen i'm not ignorant to the idea that regret can be a large large range of things anything from like i made myself look dumb to somebody i don't really know yesterday and i feel kind of silly for it all the way to some of the some things that you keep deep down inside locked and hidden away that you hope nobody ever finds out about Big or small, it doesn't matter. God can work you past it. And lastly, are you willing to co-labor with other flawed people? Even ones who may be ahead of you right now. Are you willing to co-labor with other flawed people? You see, you hear about people going, going that say they don't go to church anymore and they say, well, all the people are messed up. They're hypocrites. They're this, they're that. And, and it's, common response that people love to use is say, okay, well, when you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up. It doesn't exist. We're all flawed people. And I'm not at all condoning, you know, (laughs) heinous things that take place in what people call churches in some parts of the world today. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people with a genuine desire to serve God, to labor for Christ. They're going to make mistakes along the way. You must be willing to labor with other flawed people as they labor with you. I close with this according to Daniel Pink writing in the Wall Street Journal regret is the second most common emotion felt among human beings. Pink argues that regret isn't just common but it can actually be beneficial. For all its intuitive appeal, the no regrets approach is unstable blueprint for living. At a time like ours, when teenagers are battling unprecedented mental health challenges, adults are gripped by doubt over their financial future, and a cloud of enduring pandemic casts uncertainty over our decisions, it is especially counterproductive. He goes on to write, I have collected and analyzed more than 16,000 individual descriptions of regret from people in 105 countries. That's a lot. One of them was Abby Henderson, a 30-year-old, who wrote this. I regret not taking advantage of spending time with my grandparents as a child. I resented their presence in my home and their desire to connect with me. And now, I'd do anything to get that time back. Rather than shut out this regret or be hobbled by it, she altered her approach to her aging mother and father and began recording, uh, compiling stories from their lives. And she went on to say, I don't want to feel the way when my parents died that I felt about my grandparents of what did I miss? Without a doubt, regret feels awful. It is the stomach churning sensation that the present would be better or the future brighter if only you had chosen, hadn't chosen so poorly, decided so wrongly, or acted so stupidly in the past. Regret hurts. Regret is not abnormal, it is a healthy and universal an integral part of being human. But equally important, regret is valuable. It clarifies, it instructs, and when done right, it needn't drag us down, but it can lift us up to a better future, following Christ with our lives. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.